And I'm glad that he reminded uh, all of us that this is not a show. I tend to sometimes, I, I was just telling Dwight this week, whenever, uh, I'm a last minute kind of person, and so I always work on the sermon on the week of, I don't, it's not the night before, but it's the week of. And I always tell myself when I'm doing it, why did I ever agree to this? <laughs> it's always that same process. But anyway, God is gracious, and we're, I'm up here, so I'll, I'll try my best to share his word for you today. So we continue on the book of Proverbs. And before we start off, I wanted to remind us what that main message of the book is about. So um, Judy has put up the first slide. In chapter one, the first two verses already tell us. I chose the message version this morning, and I just wanted to read that to you. It states that Proverbs is a manual for living. You can go on to the next one, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah. That Proverbs is a manual for living, for learning what's right and just and fair, written down so we'll know how to live well and right to understand what life means and where it's going. For the book of Proverbs, life is found in the way of wisdom. And wisdom, the book teaches in the first chapter, verse 7, begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. This morning, we'll focus on unpacking that phrase, the fear of the Lord, if that phrase is the key to wisdom, to being wise and living fully, then it seems but wise for us to understand its meaning, its scope, and its implications for us. I actually have a personal connection with this phrase, the fear of the Lord. Growing up in the Philippines, I've told this story to a few people, so forgive me if I repeat it. Um, I had gone to a private Christian school, and every day, the first thing I saw when I entered the school building was this verse emblazoned uh, on the top of the entranceway. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I didn't really give it much thought at the time, but in hindsight, I realize now how the school used that as a guiding principle for the way they ran the school. It was a conservative private Christian school that was very strict, focused a lot on proper external behavior, very strict in everything, including physical attire, and the emphasis was on distinguishing oneself from the culture at large. So if dangling earrings, for example, were popular, we couldn't wear it. If knee-high socks were on trend, it was disallowed. I think you kind of know where that's going. I remember getting in trouble in grade two with our vice principal, who's the one in charge of catching all the delinquents in school. <laughs> um, she caught me running one day in the hallway. Uh, you know, I don't think she even allowed to me the re to give a reason of why I was running. She just caught me and I automatically got a consequence. And because I have by nature a compliant personality, Dwight might disagree with this, uh, <laughs> I quickly learned to obey the rules and obey them judiciously. Following the rules became a safety net for me to avoid punishment. So my understanding of the fear of the Lord up until I graduated for, from high school was that of a literal fear, a sense of foreboding or anxiety over punishment. In that understanding, God was like my vice principal, watching and waiting to punish me at the slightest disobedience to his rules. 
My own testimony of coming to the Lord was also centered around fear. In that private Christian school, we had weekly chapel. And once a month, there was always an altar call. Uh, when I was in grade four, I remember watching this episode of The Flying House. This was a show about some children who would time travel with this flying house to biblical times, and they would experience firsthand the Bible stories. Anyway, that particular episode was about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. In that story, Lazarus was a beggar uh, looking for food, and he was waiting for what fell from the rich man's table. The rich man was oblivious to anyone, eating to his heart's content with a lot of waste along the way. Both of them die in the story, um, and Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. The rich man, on the other hand, is shown in agony in the fires of hell. The rich man sees Lazarus in Abra beside Abraham and asks Abraham if he could send um, Lazarus down to give him a sip of water. But Abraham says, there's a big chasm that separates us, and that is impossible. That picture of hell terrified me. On that same night, out of a genuine fear of ending up in hell, I prayed earnestly for Jesus to save me. And when the altar call came that week at chapel, I did not hesitate to put up my hand and go up to receive Jesus. As you can see, my initial impetus, the one that moved me to cling to Jesus, was fear. In particular, fear of ending up in hell. If you look up the definition of fear in the Oxford Dictionary, it offers what it calls an archaic definition, which defines fear as a mixed feeling of dread and reverence, the balance of which is determined by one's own experiences. For me, the scales definitely tipped towards the dread side during my elementary and high school years. But is that sense of dread how Proverbs is asking us to understand the fear of the Lord? Are we supposed to dread God and in so doing gain wisdom? The first thing we need to pay attention to is the Hebrew word which is translated in English as the Lord. In Proverbs 1, verse 7, that English word Lord is Yahweh in Hebrew, the original language in which the Old Testament was written. The name Yahweh is significant because that is the name God gave to Moses at the burning bush. In response to Moses' concern that he might not be able to convince the Israelites to leave Egypt, God tells Moses to tell the Israelites that I am has sent you, and Yahweh is his name. The fear of the Lord, then, is more accurately understood as the fear of Yahweh. It is not a general fear of the power or anger of the gods, small g, but rather wisdom is gained from having a fear of Yahweh over and against other gods. God is called many names in the Bible. Each of these names emphasize a different aspect of God's personhood. These names, to name a few, include Elohim, the creator God, or Adonai, God the ruler, El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. The name Yahweh is significant, however, because this was the personal name that God used of himself. It occurs more than 6,800 times in the Old Testament. 
In the book of Proverbs, the name Yahweh is used 87 times. Contrast this with the use of Elohim in Proverbs, which is only five times. Knowing and acknowledging who Yahweh is marks the first step in gaining wisdom. In trying to understand this phrase, there may be a temptation to study the phrase in parts. In this approach, we would study the Hebrew word for fear, then we would study the Hebrew word for Lord. While that study may uncover interesting facts, I would like to suggest that that approach would not be the correct approach, because the phrase is meant to be understood as a whole. One scholar put it this way, just like we cannot understand the word butterfly by studying the word butter and studying the word fly, you cannot understand the fear of the Lord by separating it out. Its meaning lies when we seek to understand it as a whole. Uh, a key step to, is needed, a key step that is needed to understand this phrase is to change the phrase from the fear of the Lord to the fear of Yahweh. So whenever you read that in Proverbs, just change it a bit, just say the fear of Yahweh. Emphasizing this phrase in relation to Yahweh, the personal name of God, helps us to understand that in using this phrase, Solomon intended to signal to his readers that this fear is of a particular God, Yahweh. And the fear of Yahweh is to be understood within the culture and worldview of the Old Testament people of God and their relationship to Yahweh. So if we want to understand what this phrase means, we must first enter the world of the Old Testament and God's people, the Israelites. The best modern day equivalent I could come up with is the phrase, may the force be with you. <laughs> when you hear or read that phrase, people who know of Star Wars are supposed to immediately think of the movies and its component parts and worldview. You're supposed to start thinking of the Jedi, of lightsabers, of Darth Vader, of, and ultimately of the choice to embrace the light within the force, like Luke Skywalker did, or the darkness, like Darth Vader did. You can't understand what's happened in Star Wars unless you buy into the world that it's created. To correctly understand the fear of Yahweh, we also need to consider the original audience and context of the book of Proverbs. In chapter 1, verse 8, we find the picture of a father and a mother teaching their son as he stands on the threshold of adulthood. It's within the context of godly parents teaching their children the ways of God that we need to understand the phrase, the fear of Yahweh. As the son enters adolescence, a time where some of the most momentous choices are made in terms of career, education, dating, two roads stand before him. Will he follow the way of wisdom or will he follow the way of folly? Let's take a look at Proverbs 1, verse 7. Judy can um, go to the next slide. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. These verses are Solomon's preliminary thoughts 
and are meant to set the stage for what is to come for the rest of Proverbs. The goal of Proverbs, as laid out in these first seven verses, in a nutshell, is for attaining wisdom. But wisdom involves many different virtues as well. Together with wisdom, there is mentioned discipline, insight, prudence, justice, fairness, discretion, learning, and guidance. All of these, Solomon says, are needed to understand the Proverbs. And all of these are the ways that wisdom works itself out in the life of a believer. But it all starts with the fear of Yahweh. For the next slide, 1 verse 7 states again, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Later in 9 verse 10, chapter 9 verse 10, it gets restated. This time, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The concepts of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding in the book of Proverbs are interrelated. Sometimes they're even used interchangeably for one another. What 1 verse 7 and 9 verse 10 reveals to us is that the fear of Yahweh opens up knowledge. Knowledge of Yahweh should then lead to understanding of Yahweh, which should then lead to wisdom. Knowledge and understanding is necessary for wisdom to develop, but knowledge and understanding in and of itself is not necessarily wisdom. Wisdom, more importantly, as Proverbs shows, is the skill of living, which necessarily involves the actions that come out of knowledge. In Proverbs, knowledge must develop into ways of discipline, justice, mercy, and righteousness, the fruits of wisdom. The fear of Yahweh, properly understood, ensures knowledge leads to wisdom, wise living, and wise thinking. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. As the son in chapter 1 verse 8 stands at the threshold of adulthood, many questions of identity would undoubtedly come to the fore. Faced with so many critical momentous decisions, will he be wise or will he be a fool? The hope that the book of Proverbs holds out is that the son will have the knowledge, the insight, the discipline, and the prudence to make wise choices. Will he show by his choices by his actions, by his loves, his passions, by his life, that he has the fear of Yahweh and is on the path of wisdom. The path of wisdom is the only way that leads to life, Proverbs proclaims. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What is the fear of Yahweh? First off, it is not dread or terror of Yahweh. This is the natural understanding of fear, and it is how people throughout history have generally responded to the gods. Fear, in this case, is the negative sense of being afraid of something or someone that can harm us or bring about harmful circumstances. That was my initial understanding of the fear of the Lord. I came to Jesus out of a fear of ending up in hell. And that sense of dread spilled over to my understanding of God as also someone to be dreadful, to be in dreadful fear of, and therefore to be obeyed because he can cause me pain and suffering if I do not. That sense of dread may have jump-started my faith journey, but if it had stopped there, I don't think my faith would have taken root. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. 
but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. A scholar elaborates that the word beginning can have two senses. First in time, meaning the fear of Yahweh gets us going and begins our path on wisdom. But beginning also has the sense of first in importance, meaning the fear of Yahweh sets the conditions for staying on the journey. And if misunderstood, causes those on the journey to miss the mark and fall onto the path of folly. Fear of the Lord as the sense of fear for the anger of God can be a legitimate starting point for faith as it was for me. That is the sense of, that's the first sense of beginning, first in time. But in order for wisdom to bloom, the fear of Yahweh must also become first in importance in our lives. Outside of Proverbs, scholars point out that the phrase the fear of Yahweh was used in the Old Testament to signify the appropriate response to God's self-revelation when he gave the laws and commandments to Moses in Mount Sinai. Wisdom begins by understanding Yahweh, the covenant-making God, and his relationship to his covenant people, the Israelites. That relationship is central to starting and staying on the path of wisdom. And that relationship involves laws or principles and corresponding obligations or actions. To give the fear of Yahweh first importance means that the believer's covenant relationship with Yahweh is of first importance in their lives. That means our identity as the people of God, my identity as the child of God, must become my primary identity. You can see how timely that teaching is for adolescents on the threshold of adulthood. But it is an, also an important corrective for many of us who have staked our primary identities on values other than our covenant identity in Christ. The question of who am I can be and, can be and has been variously answered depending on what one values as of primary importance. If I were to answer the question of who am I, I would say, I am a daughter, a sister, a wife, a mother, a friend, an educational assistant, a Filipino-Chinese-Canadian, a responsible citizen, and a Christian. Any of those could be primary for me. If my identity is primary defined by my kids, then motherhood drives me first and foremost. For those whose identities are defined by their careers, then they would identify, I'm a doctor, I'm a psychologist, I'm a lawyer, I'm a pastor. Many also look at their gender and sexual identity as of utmost importance. Everyone should be free to be who they are, or so the argument goes. The fear of Yahweh as the beginning of wisdom, however, offers a different angle in which to look at identity. Over and against all those other values, the fear of Yahweh teaches that our identities must be primarily formed by our identity in Yahweh, our identities in Jesus Christ, the anointed one of Yahweh. This doesn't mean we are to deny or suppress the other parts of our, the other parts that make up our identity. 
But to say that our identity as children of God is of primary importance means we allow that identity marker to inform and order all the other values that make up our full identity. I am a child of God before I am a mother, a wife, a daughter, a sister, a friend, an educator, or a citizen. I am a child of God before my sexual or gender or career or political identity. So if the other aspects of my identity become compromised, we get old and retire and lose our career identity. Our kids become adults and leave home and we lose our caregiver identity. We become a refugee and lose our national identity. When these things happen, the wind may get knocked out of us and we may grieve and be in deep pain, but we can still rest and find joy in our primary and enduring identity as the child of God. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. How then do we gain the fear of Yahweh? Proverbs tells us that we must, we must search for it earnestly. Let's take a look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. Judy can put up the slides for me. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Here we see that contrary to popular opinion, wisdom does not develop naturally with age or experience. Rather, Solomon teaches that wisdom must be sought after. Effort is required on our part to study and to discover, to ponder and to discern. One must call out and cry aloud for wisdom. One must search for wisdom with enthusiasm as with a hidden treasure. When we became first-time parents, and when Evan was born, one of the most difficult transitions for me I don't know if it was for Dwight, you can ask him later, was the lack of sleep. <laughs> when I was in the hospital, Evan slept for almost the whole time there, waking only to feed. Obviously, when I got home, I expected much of the same. And to my horror, no, no the first few weeks actually was the same. In the, during the day, Evan was an angel. He just slept most of the day. But after those first few weeks of bliss, he decided that he was only going to nap for 20 minutes and then wake up. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can't even rest. And Evan's night's sleep was a whole different beast altogether. I think Evan woke up every two or three hours to feed. And I remember falling asleep exhausted, only to be woken up by a ravenous baby. After months of surviving on very little sleep, Dwight and I decided to tackle the problem head on. We consulted with friends with uh, kids the same age as Evan and asked them what they did. And finally, we decided that we would sleep train Evan at four months. And sure enough, after three to four days of what I thought was horrific crying before bedtime, Evan learned to sleep. He learned to sleep on his own and stayed asleep on his own 
even to this day. <laughs> no one told me before having Evan that one of the skills I needed to teach him was how to sleep. I always thought that sleep was a natural thing. Everybody sleeps, right? Apparently not. It's a skill that needs to be taught. It's a skill that needs to be learned. It's the same with wisdom. People do not just naturally develop wisdom. Old age is not a guarantee of wisdom. Wisdom must be sought earnestly. It must be developed and learned. And it begins with an understanding of the fear of Yahweh. Learning God's laws and his ways in scriptures is an integral part of that. The study of the Bible is necessary because Yahweh has revealed himself in history. And that means his revelation can be studied and learned. To know God, to have knowledge of God that becomes understanding, we need to know and learn about the God of the whole Bible the Old Testament and the New Testament, not just the parts that we like. Wisdom offers no shortcuts. And contrary to learning the skill of sleeping, where you learn it once and you have it for life, we don't learn wisdom once and have it for life. Wisdom is a skill that must be continuously lived out. It is a journey, not a destination. That's why the imagery is that of a road that we must walk on day after day. What is the fear of Yahweh? The fear of Yahweh is, the, is kind of a catch-all phrase that encapsulates a distinctly biblical worldview and a distinctly Christian way of being. It is, as Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, the way of trusting Yahweh with our whole heart and acknowledging him, acknowledging him with our, all of our ways. It is, in essence, a submission to God. It's a voluntary letting go of ourselves and our autonomy in order to fall under God's loving and good authority and direction. It is, in many ways, a reversal of the choice that Adam and Eve made back in the Garden of Eden. If we think back to the Garden of Eden and to the great fall of Adam and Eve, their fall resu resulted from their desire to determine good and evil, right and wrong, apart from God. They wanted to be like God, to be God, and forgot their place. Instead of submitting to God and trusting his ways, they wanted to assert their autonomy and decide for themselves what was right in their own eyes. And that mindset and worldview that prizes self-autonomy is completely opposite to the worldview and way of life that the fear of Yahweh represents. When we have the fear of Yahweh, we will begin to see and learn and accept in humility that God is the source of all wisdom and that his ways are good and that life is found when we commit to follow and live under his ways. And so even though he can instill a real sense of fear, of being afraid because we know how powerful and how holy he is, we can also begin to move towards a fear of Yahweh that is balanced with love. Only as we fear, love, and trust God can we become wise and develop the skills needed to live and to live well. 
Once we embrace the fear of Yahweh, then and only then can we gain a correct understanding of the world and our place within it with respect to God, the rest of humanity, and creation. It is only when we have the fear of Yahweh that we can gain true wisdom, which is put simply, the art of skillful living. One scholar put it this way, if Judy can put up this slide for me. Proverbial wisdom equips us for success in life, but with an abiding concern for how the skills we acquire relate to God's desire to redeem and build a just, generous, and good world with people fulfilling their calling as God's image bearers. Let me read that again. Proverbial wisdom equips us for success in life, but with an abiding concern for how the skills we acquire relate to God's desire to redeem and build a just, generous, and good world with people fulfilling their calling as God's image bearers. Wisdom is understanding who God is, what he is doing, and entering into his story and joining him in his plan. And that kind of understanding necessarily begins with the fear of Yahweh. The fear of Yahweh is above all things a way of life that calls for a whole being response, a whole life response. The fear of Yahweh imparts a way of thinking, a way of loving, a way of acting and living that bears witness through our very lives to the giver of life, God. And unlike the skill of sleeping where there's no need for retraining, the fear of Yahweh and wisdom necessitates daily application and a daily living out. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So what does this all mean? First, wisdom does not come automatically with age. It is something we must seek. It is something we must work on continuously. It is something we must treasure. It needs the proper starting point, which is the fear of Yahweh. The fear of Yahweh is the knowledge and understanding of God and his ways as he has revealed it in history. From creation to the calling of the Israelites to the giving of his law to the coming of Jesus, his anointed one. In light of God's revelation, the fear of Yahweh is also the response of commitment to God in submission. And as we persevere in learning, in living out our faith, our minds are renewed and we gain insight into the proper relationship between God and humanity and creation. The fear of Yahweh needs to be learned, which means someone needs to teach it. Proverbs admonishes parents to teach this to their children. And as a church, we also need to be a community that encourages each other and teaches each other the fear of the Lord. We need to encourage each other on the path of wisdom. And as a community, we need to encourage each other to uphold the fear of Yahweh. The fear of Yahweh is meant to inform all the daily choices we make, big and small, for all of these form us as a people. All of our choices aid or detract from God's redemptive work that aims at the flourishing of his whole creation. 
Our choices will show ultimately whether we are wise or we are fools. The fear of Yahweh as the beginning of wisdom means that we will not only start on the path of wisdom, we will endeavor and encourage each other to walk in it daily and stay in its path. In the end, the fear of Yahweh is not something we can possess once and for all. It is something that we need to walk in all of our lives long. And as we walk in the light of the fear of Yahweh, we will enjoy wisdom and life. That is the promise of God. May it be so.